As many of you know that I used to work for Hewlett-Packard in a global role and had a great time with them, but we actually had one of our competitors was an organization called Dell Computers. So the PC business of HP versus Dell and the PC business as well. And so my guest that I interviewed was a guy called Rajiv Kapoor. Now Rajiv had over a 30 year career and he's been part of the leadership team at Dell. So he built a 1 billion, that's with a B, plus business in the US and managed Dell's China and South Asia business to record growth. So in other words, we both worked for competitive organizations. Now it was a great conversation with Rajiv because he shared so many good things. Now he's an author of two different books. One is called Chase Greatness and the other one's called AI Made Simple. Thank God someone's written a book about AI and making it simple. So that one's I think is about to come out very soon. But today Rajiv is the president and CEO of an organization called 1105 Media. And he's had a range of other kind of roles as well. But the conversation was great because we talked about various things as well. And one of the things he talked about is the, the word great and take the G-R-E-A-T and he had different words and things that he shared with that as well. And hence, the name of the, well, the title of the episode is Great Leaders Surround Themselves with Smart People. So it was, we're playing on the word great. But he also talked about that you should never be the smartest in the room that you always surround yourself with smart people. Talked about building trust and transparency. And it's a really cool conversation that we both had and that we talked about things as well around leadership. So listeners, take notes and sit back and enjoy. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Hey there, listeners. Welcome to another wonderful episode of the Leadership is Changing podcast. I have a great guest with me today. His name is Rajiv Kapoor. Rajiv, a massive welcome to you. Thank you, my friend. Nice to, nice to meet you. Yeah, now whereabouts in the world are you today? I'm in Southern California, so about a 15-hour flight away from you. Yeah, it's about 15 hours. Yep. Beautiful. And so you, based on your bio and things like that, you've been working for a competitor of mine, as, as we were saying before. So I was at Hewlett Packard, you're at Dell. What was your role in Dell before? You know, it's interesting. When I first started at Dell, the first few months, I was just an inside salesperson. Huh. But before that, before I started at Dell, I was at Gateway. Remember Gateway? Mm. Yep. And because of that Gateway experience, I became one of Michael Dell's first executive assistants. Oh, nice. Back in, back in the 93, 94 timeframe. And from that... My career just started going up. I went into the product group for a little while. I was in marketing for a little while, then back into sales. And then eventually I ran the Western part of the country for Dell. And then I went to China in 2000 for a couple of years. And then from there, went down to Singapore in 2002, 2004, and covered all of South Asia and that part of the world. And uh, so, yeah, there's you know, a lot of ex Dell experience and met a lot of amazing people and I had the opportunity to lead a lot of great teams. 
Yeah, and it's great you can do that with those kind of large organizations around the world and different people and different cultures. And it's very special to be able to do that and travel the world representing a company to do it. And by the looks of your bio, you're saying, because you look very young, 30-year career in, in leadership and so forth? Yeah, well, you know, thank you for that. But I'm going to turn 56 this year. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, I've been doing this, you know, I've been managing teams and people since I was 20. Or 25, right? So 30 plus years. It's been, it's been a heck of a journey and a lot of fun and met, met, met a lot of amazing people along the way. Excellent. And today you, you've got an organization called 1105 Media. Tell us more about that. So 1105 Media is a very US-centric and focused business. And 99% of our business here in the US, we're a B2B, so business to business, media and marketing technology focused company. So the best way to explain it is that our job is to connect technology buyers with technology sellers. That's what we do. That's the best way to put it. In fact, Dell and HP are clients and software companies are our clients and Amazon's our client. So that's what we do. You know, we, we do that. We have 56 brands within the 1105 umbrella. We have five different business units. We have people spread out all around the country. Almost everybody is remote and we, you know, we're doing well. It's a very profitable business. And it's growing, so that's always good. So that, that, that's uh, a little bit about the business. Yeah. And working remote, how's your organization, 1105? I don't know how long you've had it for, but the, the organization, remote working, the pandemic and things like that, how's it phased? Does it not phase at all? How's it gone? So here's the thing, interesting. And before the pandemic, about a third of the company was already remote. And when the pandemic hit, obviously everybody went remote. We had one, two, three, four four, five, six offices, and now we're down to one and a half offices. And by Q2 of next year, we'll be down to one office. And by the end of next year, that one big office we have will probably be cut in half. So look, all I can tell you is that my team loves it. It works very well for my team. I'm a big advocate of it. In fact, I talk about it a lot that this is just the future, the way the work, work is going to go. And I believe we built a really strong culture and we don't do any of this nonsense that other companies do in terms of tracking people's keystrokes or making you turn on your camera while you're working or any of that nonsense. We have a lot of transparency and trust in the business here. And it's proven itself by the fact that on the last 11 months, we've only had one person quit in the last 11 months at the, at the company. And so we believe we do a really good job of really focusing on the employee and employee experience and really making our employees number one the most important customer that we have is, is our employees. So that's what we focus on and, and they take care of the external customer. That's excellent. I, I really like the way you put that as that employee experience and the most important customer. Do you think then, I'm not going to actually, because there's questions I've got for you, I'm going to ask the very, towards the last question now, actually, because you brought it up about employees. Their expectation of leaders today, has that changed at all? You know, my organization demographic runs a little bit older than most. But I will tell you, based on many of my other, I'm, I'm a member of this group called YPO and, and other groups like that. And so I've, I've been around it and I wrote a book about this actually called Chase Greatness. And I'll tell you that the research shows that the next two years, the majority of the workforce is going to be Gen Z and millennial. And for the first time, women will have a slight majority in the, work, in the workplace. So to answer your question, yeah, leadership has to change. It absolutely does. And you know, it started with myself. I believe I needed to change. And I changed a lot during COVID. We went to, actually we started changing right, right before COVID, but COVID accelerated things. 
we became a very decentralized organization and we pushed all decision-making down into the teams, to the different business units. So corporate is no longer a bottleneck. Mm. And that was a great thing to do. So we've been doing that now for four plus years and, it, and it's been a home run. And we focus so much on the employee experience, everything from recognition to making sure we're doing everything we can to fight for them on the benefits front. For one of the things we do every year on election day, we give them a paid day off to go vote. I think we're one of the very few companies in the world that gives their employees a full paid day off to go vote. What we think is part of their civic duty and responsibility to be engaged, not just at the national level, but also at the local level. So we do that. And it's a very bipartisan way to do it because whether you're a Republican or Democrat, you both go can go vote, right? This is not a one size, this is not benefit one, one side or the other. So, so those are the small things that we do. And quite frankly, it's working for us as evident with the metrics in terms of how we measure employee satisfaction and our attrition rates. Cool. Wow. That's very cool. And so, yeah, leadership is changing, as you said, needs to change. But how did you actually get into leadership yourself? I always wanted to be a leader. Like, I don't think we were getting sports. I mean, I was all right. You know, a little bit of baseball, a little bit of soccer. But I was never really all that super great at it. But I found myself gravitating towards the coaches, looking at plays, and understanding the game, and the science behind the game, and those kinds of things. And so I always found myself gravitating towards the, to those areas. I always found myself trying to raise my hand to be the guy who would volunteer to go take on certain tasks and roles, whether in school or wherever it might be. And so you know, I just kind of always knew I wanted to be, be in that position. And I knew at an early age that I wanted to be the CEO of a company. I probably knew it when I was... 13, 14 years old that I wanted to do that. And so I worked my way up and my goal was to become the president of a company before I turned 40. And I turned, became the president of an e-commerce company a week before I turned 40. So that was a big book goal. And, mm -hmm. and I learned on that. You know, I learned that I probably wasn't ready because it's not like you go to a special school to become, we're ready to be a president. So there was a lot of on-the-job training. And I had a lot of on-the-job, I had a lot of on-the-job training and a lot of experiences really seriously. It, it's helped me become, you know, who I am today. And I'll be really enjoying it. I'm CEO of my third company now, and I've you know, had a couple of exits. And so hopefully things continue to go well, well here at 1105, and we have another ones here. Uh, it's excellent. And so when you said baseball and soccer and that, I thought, oh, yeah, okay, that's cool. Uh, no, what did you say, football? But the thing is, did you ever ever follow cricket from, you know, your heritage? No, you know, so I was born and raised in Los Angeles, right? So it was very much baseball, basketball, mm. football soccer or other, or as other would say, the real football. Yep. Yeah. And then maybe a little bit of tennis and other things, but I was always with more of the bigger team sports here that are you focus. I never really got into cricket. I'm still not into cricket, to be honest with you. I mean, of course, you know, India is playing Australia, whatever. I'm vested only the fact that by heritage and by nationality, I'm Indian, but I, I wasn't raised there. I, I didn't grow up there. I never saw the sport. I never played the sport. And so it wasn't really probably until the IPL came out that I really properly understood the sport, to be honest with you. So, yeah, I mean, we were talking earlier about, about rugby. I probably know a little bit more about rugby than I do about cricket. So, yeah. Yeah, so and I feel bad that your team is losing today, so that's not good. Oh, it's not over yet. So that's all good. But the thing here is, I was the same, right? I mean, dad coming from Greece and moving to New Zealand and met mum here. But, you know, Greece is very much a, a soccer kind of uh, nation as well. And, but you know, we, we didn't play soccer. We all played, my brother and I played rugby and, and softball. And that's what we we're into in tennis, but we didn't go down those other tracks of, of other, where our heritage came from either. Because as you say, you know, you're in a different country, you're growing up where you are, you go to school where you are, 
the other kids are playing those sports. So that's what you tend to do too. So, yeah. So it's for you, you've gone from a young person playing sports to really wanting to be into a leadership role and then going off to being a CEO of organizations, which is a pretty cool career journey that you've actually had, which is good. Now, for you actually have one or two, or maybe a few, but this person can be alive or from history. Who's your favorite leader and why? Oh, wow. That's a good question. You know, I, I don't know if I can quite frankly point at one person, right? I, I just think it's hard to do that. I think to me, if I think about sports, I think probably the greatest leader in team sports was probably Magic Johnson, the basketball player, right? If, if I think about business, you know, I think of people like Satya Nadella, who's fantastic. I think about Steve Jobs. Interesting thing about Steve Jobs is there's a lot of people realize that there's two Steve Jobs. There's Steve Jobs 1.0 and Steve Jobs 2.0. And the Steve, one, Steve Jobs 1.0 was somebody who nobody liked. The Steve Jobs 2.0 is the one who came in and said, I'm going to make a deal with my rival, Bill Gates. I'm going to surround myself with the best possible people. I'm going to give them the tools to do their job. And we're going to innovate and we're crazy and we're going to really different marketplace. So there's him. I would be remiss if I didn't throw Michael, Michael Dell into that mix. Michael was an amazing leader and a great mentor. He still is. And, you know, people always ask me, what is one of Michael's biggest strengths? And I would tell you his biggest strength was that you know, he, he was never the smartest person in the room. He always hired people smart, you know, smarter than him, you know, and he got out of the way. So there's that. I mean, you know, we can go down the political spectrum all you want, but I don't think you'll listen to hear about politics. And to me, so, you know, I, I think it just depends, you know, I, I don't know if you could just point and say this one person, like, who was is really the, the greatest of all time, so to speak, in, in this world. Yep. Yep. Okay. And so if you and Steve Jobs were to have a coffee sitting on a park bench somewhere there in the US, and you had the opportunity to actually ask Steve Jobs a question, what would be the one question you would love to ask him? I'd ask him two questions. My first question I asked him is why didn't he take care of his health the way he took care of his business? You know, because he surrounded himself with the best people in business, but he didn't surround himself with the best people when it came to his pancreas and the cancer challenge. And my and then my first question I'd ask him was, what was the revelation that caused him to morph into Steve Jobs 2.0? Why did he have to go down that path of Steve Jobs 1.0 and disown his daughter and not give his partners equity and treat people so so poorly. He didn't need to do that. He didn't need to do it. And he did it. And he was still successful, but he didn't need to do it. He could have been wildly more successful, never would have been fired from his own company. And and what would the, you ask him? Well, I actually would ask him, oh, let me think about it, a good question. What I would like to know from him is the innovation, that side of things, where his vision, where he was seeing things going. How did he actually always work on that? And of course, having smart people around you is really important. But how did he always have that vision and how did he always make sure that he kept it going and so forth? That's what I would love to, to have asked him. And I think you're right in what you're saying too, because you see a lot of leaders think about, oh, I've got to be really good at leadership and I've got to do this stuff. But they forget about the health side as well. And as you said, in business, we'll surround ourselves with smart people and things like that. But what about the health side? What about the fitness side? What about the mental side of things as well nowadays? It's it's really interesting, isn't it? How it yeah. all works. Yeah. So you've actually answered the question before about leadership is changing. And I was going to ask you, because based on that title, that statement, leadership is changing, you know, any other thoughts? Is there anything else you want to share around that sort of topic? Or you sort of, we think we're okay because we've answered that question already? 
Look, I mean, the, the challenge people, the issue at the end of the day is this. You have a lot of people who like to call this stuff woke, and it's not woke. It's a natural evolution of the workplace. You know, Dennis, I mean, I'm 55. I'll be 56 soon. When I was in the 80s and 90s, they used to call us Degeneration X. You know, we used to listen to, oh, you guys are a bunch of headbangers. You listen to rock music and it's going to ruin your brains and cocaine. And oh my God, look at the shows you watch on TV. You know, oh my God, it's horrible. You know, that's what people used to say about us. And I think we turned out all right. Now, granted, there's a lot of problems in the world, you know, but at the end of the day, it just, every demographic just naturally evolves. And, you know, so leadership has to evolve. And, you know, I spent some time with the dean of the business school at USC here in LA. And this is the guy that he's the relatively new dean. And he was the former dean at Wharton. And he just looked at me and he said, you know, you're right. Because this stuff is naturally, it's naturally going to happen. There's nothing anybody can do to stop it. Nothing. Because the older generation, boomers have left, are almost out of the workplace. Men, you know, Gen Xers in the next 10 years will be starting to retire in droves, you know, from the workplace. So that leaves millennials and Gen Z and Gen after it, and they're going to be the majority of leadership. And so I believe that we should find ways to support them. If, if anybody wants to be critical of this generation, guess what? They're our kids. If they're our kids, it's our fault. We're the ones who raised them. So, you know, I just think that we as CEOs and those leaders have a great responsibility to train them up for the future and set them on the right path, just like we would our real kids. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Now, you and I are living in a world that's very fast-paced, ever-changing. Data, business, the social side of things, everything's just seeming to get a lot faster. What do you reckon makes the leader successful today to be able to thrive in that fast-paced, ever-changing world? Well, I'll give you five. How about that? Okay. The first is the leaders really got to practice gratitude on a daily basis. If you ask Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, I shouldn't say new CEO because he's been there now for a few years. He's going to play Steve Ballmer. He'll tell you the number one thing that transformed Microsoft was gratitude. You got to really have one thing COVID taught us is that you got to be really resilient in your business. You've got to be maniacal about really managing your business, looking at your expenses, leveraging your partners. Like I'll give you an example. When COVID hit, you know, there was no case study for me to go read. There was no mentor for me to go call. No one had been through this. Michael hadn't been through this, right? The guys at HP where you were at, they hadn't been through this. You know, I couldn't call anybody. Who am I going to call? There's no Harvard case study for me to read. There's no book for me to read. There's no article online for me to read. You know, so what was I going to do? So I decided that I was going to, I'm going to be the case study that hopefully Harvard writes about one day, not me, but my company. So you have to have that resilience. You know, and you have to have a lot of empathy. I believe, I think one of the damages that, that leadership did back in the 80s and 90s was this concept of, hey, if you have a problem, you need to go talk to the CEO and you better show up with three solutions. Well, you're the CEO for a reason. Why are you stopping people from coming to talk to you? Maybe they're stuck. Maybe they need help. Maybe they need advice. Maybe they need guidance. Maybe they just want to go for a walk and that walk will help jar some ideas and they just want to bounce something off of you. But when you put up these parameters and say, no, only come and talk to the CEO if you have three solutions, they're never going to come and talk to you. Or they're going to have one good solution and two really crappy solutions and they're going to waste your time. Or they might have three crappy solutions. And so... There's a lot of, so you have to have the right amount of empathy. You know, you still have to hold people accountable, but accountability now goes both ways. You have to hold yourself accountable to the team. And then finally, you have to demonstrate a lot, a lot of transparency, you know? So I think if, I mean, if you do me a favor, take those five things I just said, of gratitude, resilience, empathy, accountability, and transparency, 
take the first letter from each one of those words and what does it spell? It spells great. And that is the title of my first book, Chase Greatness. That those are the five pillars that I think leadership should be. Yeah, I love it. I love those pillars. There you go, listeners. So gratitude, resiliency, or being resilient, empathy, accountability, and transparency. It spells out the word great. And it's about us being great leaders, especially today, being able to cope or thrive as a leader and be successful in a fast-paced, ever-changing world. Rajiv, if I'm going to get you to get your crystal ball out here now, and if we think about the future where things are going to go, and maybe Harvard will write an article about you and the, your company, where it's going in the future as well. But where do you see leadership being in five years from now? Well, I've coined this term called enlightened leadership. And I hope that we are a lot more enlightened leaders in the next five years. Because let me tell you something. There's going to be a lot of disruption coming to our workplaces in the next five years. Not only do you have demographic change going to be happening in a big way, you also have major technological change coming with AI and those types of tools as well, right? So a lot of people don't realize that. And to me, I believe that leadership needs to evolve to become enlightened leadership. And so you might ask me, well, Rajiv, what is enlightened? Enlightened leadership is, you know, you and I, when, we're, when you're you know, as a Dell, we were trained and when you're doing your coaching, you train a lot of people on this concept of servant leadership. And for those of you who are listening and not familiar with the concept of servant leadership, something that kind of evolved out of the church and basically it says, hey, listener, I work for you. Even though I'm the CEO, I work for you. What tool do you need to do your job? I'm going to give you the tools to be successful. And then I'm going to get out of your way so you can go do it. So that's idea of servant leadership, right? And that's fine. And that will still be there. But I opine, and what I like to jump up and down and talk about is that servant leadership itself has to evolve into this concept of enlightened leadership. And enlightened leadership says, hey, Listener, not only am I here to help support you within the walls of the business, how can I help support you outside the walls of the business? And that I think is going to be the fundamental change in difference. And, you know, an example of that here at my company, for example, and I think I mentioned to you earlier, was you know, we, we now provide all of our employees a, a paid day off to go vote on election day here in the U.S. I, I want them to feel like they're, I want them to be responsible and feel like they can be part of the dialogue. They're not happy with certain things. And that's a very bipartisan approach. You might like it, then vote. You might not like it, vote, whatever. Whichever side of the political spectrum you fall on, it's a day off to go vote. And some people say, well, what if they vote by mail? You're just giving them, you're wasting money. Go, no, I'm not. I encourage them to get involved in the community. And if they don't want to do that, then fine. Take a mental wellness day. Go spend time with your kids. Just take a day to recharge. It's fine. Business will be fine for, for not being around for, for people being out for eight business hours. It'll be just fine. So that's, I, I think you've got AI coming and all these other tools that are coming down the road. And I recently wrote a book about AI. It's called AI Made Simple. It's, you know, so there, that's coming and, that, and that's going to, I think, also cause some disruption. And I just think that uh, the leadership needs to be really nimble and flexible to understand that the demographics are changing and technological innovation is going to cause your companies to change. Wow, that's pretty cool. There you go, listeners. There's a couple books here for you to check out. Chase Greatness. And the other one is AI Made Simple. Rajiv, it's been a real pleasure talking to you today. If our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where should they go? Well, they can obviously find me on LinkedIn. There's a couple of Rajiv Kapoor. So make sure you find the one that's 1105 Media and Book Offer and all those things. And I'm probably the better, I'm not better, probably better looking at the other guy. So I'm sure that they can probably figure it out. <laughs> and then I'm available 
I don't do much Twitter. I'm on Instagram. Instagram handles the Rajiv Kapoor. It's R A J E E. Be like Victor. Last name is K A P U R. So those are really just kind of good ways. But usually, a lot, a lot of people connect with me on LinkedIn, which is yeah. a real good way. And I like to connect there. Awesome. We'll put those in the show notes so the listeners can uh, click on those links and uh, connect with you. But once again, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. So thanks so much for joining me in today's uh, episode. Dennis, it's my pleasure. I hope you have a wonderful weekend and thank you for doing this on your Saturday morning. Thank you. So there you go, listeners. It's time for us to go from servant leadership into enlightened or light leadership. And the thing here is that remember that word, great. Your gratitude, being resilient, empathy, accountability, and transparency. Hey, it's always a pleasure being with you. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 